That Night, written and performed by Douglas Dorda. For all my best friends, love you all. It was 25 years to the day since Joe had heard that howl on Halloween night. Joe shoved his hands into his pockets and set off for his annual appointment with a ghost. Most folks had a hell of a time on and around Halloween, but Joe had spent the past quarter century genuinely terrified by cheaply made decorations and dusks where kids ran amok. He didn't fear those things in particular, but the memories their presence brought to the surface. A howl. A thud. Joe strode the sidewalks of the small downtown of Ortonville and tried, really tried, to enjoy the collective aesthetic efforts of the community. Hell, the average house on one street alone could have been considered for the Haunt Hall of Fame. Bones, animatronic witches, graves, and music ripped right from the mind of Danny Elfman littered the streets in a spectacular fashion that Vincent Price himself would have been proud of. Joe stopped under a tree displaying several skeletons hung by various nooses. He asked his 11-year-old self to come on out and take a look, maybe crack a joke and have a smile. But his inner adolescent remained shaking and afraid deep inside. A flurry of generic goblins, popular characters, and classic monsters rushed past Joe like river water as he made his mirthless march on toward the firehouse. Joe kept his eyes trained on his shoes. Suddenly, a junior partner in all the candy-bathed madness crashed into Joe. A pumpkin bucket committed its treasure on the ground as an indistinct mass of size-small flannel went ass over tea kettle. Joe spilled into a lawn, hoping not to crush the poor kid. Oh, oh man, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? He asked. My kitty, came a muffled response. Joe sprung up and wiped the dew from his palms on his pant legs. He took a real knock to the knee from the wallet chain he should have abandoned long ago, but he was all right otherwise. The kid, as kids do, popped up like nothing happened and began the lunatic scramble of collecting everything scattered on the sidewalk. Joe bent to help. Seriously, you okay, kid? I wasn't watching where I was going. I'm fine, but I need to catch my friends, mister. They're headed to the house with the king sizers. Joe remembered all too well the house with the king-sizers. He swept up the remaining candy and topped off the bucket. The kid had been facing the ground while candy was being collected, but the kid now stood and faced Joe for the first time. It was a werewolf mask muffling that voice. Of course it was. Thanks, man, the kid said. Before taking off, he added, Cool punk rock costume. Joe just flashed a rock and roll gesture and didn't bother to correct the little wolf. Joe wore clothes like this constantly. He was a musician, but the kid didn't need to know he was in a popular cover band that performed punk versions of hits from the 60s on up. Reformed rebels swilled beer and cheered him on almost nightly at one charmingly outdated bar or another. Nothing more punk rock than needing an antacid to stomach cold pizza after a gig. Joe tossed on a reluctant smirk as he pondered whether or not he'd ever actually feel like the adult he wore the skin of. As he turned heel and made his way toward the fire department, he mused that life made werewolves of us all. We're constantly at war with the people we are inside and the things we appear to be outside. 
Joe rounded the corner at the one and only stoplight in the village and the fire department shone down the street. Spiderweb decorations clung to every inch of the building, firemen passed out candy, and a long-abandoned water tower was barely visible in the middle distance of fading light. Here we go again, Joe said flatly, one foot in front of the other. Halloween night, 25 years prior. The two boys sat in the living room basking in the glow of a Sega Genesis playing the hits on a tube TV. Tommy, skinny as a rail, was decked out in a ghost face costume with the mask perched on his head. Joe, stouter than his best friend of one short week, wore a homemade werewolf costume that he was sure looked precisely like the wolf in a nightmare before Christmas. It didn't, but Tommy was kind enough to tell him it totally did. Joe and his family had moved to Ortonville two weeks ago. Joe felt alone in a new class of fourth graders. At recess, his favorite part of the day in his former school, he sat alone on a bench and cracked open an Animorphs book. He felt like the character that was trapped as a hawk forever, an outcast even among his own people. Hey, new kid, came a voice with a little more swashbuckle in it than a ten-year-old should have. My little brother reads those. He's homesick this week, so he's been reading them all and telling me the whole story. It's amazing, man. You really know them? Joe asked. Oh yeah, dude. Those aliens are so creepy. But can you imagine being able to turn into any animal? I think I'd be an iguana. You like lizards too? Joe was hooked. Tommy was manic and the two spent the remainder of recess dreaming up fan fiction before there was a proper name for fan fiction. The boys became fast friends, best friends, in the way that is second nature to an 11-year-old. The boys went home to their respective corners of small infinity and told their folks all about their new best friend and how awesome they were. Phone calls from landlines were encouraged and the boys knew everything they needed to know about each other in less than an hour. Simple as that. At Joe's old school, his friends played around him, but Tommy played with him. Thick as thieves from the drop. At school over the next week, Tommy and Joe discovered how much more their diagrams vend, and it wasn't long before Joe secured an invite to Tommy's house over the weekend for trick-or-treating. Tommy even knew what house had the king-sizers. It was going to be rad. Listen, Tommy said, before you come over, you need to know two things, Joey. The first is that my parents are divorced, and my mom's boyfriend will probably come over Saturday. He's cool, though. He likes all the same music as me. The second is that my little brother has been staying with my dad this week to recover, but he's dropping him off Saturday night. All good, Tommy, Joe said. Any morpher is a friend of mine. Tommy beamed. Got a cool costume picked out? Oh yeah, man. I've been working on it for weeks. It's like movie accurate and everything. It wasn't, but hey, a ripped flannel shirt is pretty timeless in the fall anyway. We're gonna trick the hell out of some treats tomorrow, Joey. See you at five. Joey grinned mischievously at his friend. Tommy winked in reply and raced out of the schoolhouse doors, jumping wildly into the air before disappearing into his bus. Joe made sure to pack all of his favorite books into his backpack before slipping the straps over his shoulders. 
He wanted to put a bow on the friendship by impressing Tommy's little brother. The air in the parking lot was crisp. The leaves were at peak color, and the steady beat of a marching band practicing for a football game hovered in the air. It was perfect. Joe dreamily climbed into the family minivan when his mom arrived. He knew tonight with his family would be fun, but tomorrow, tomorrow was likely to be the most thrilling night of his entire life. Hey, Tommy, I made you and Joe some milkshakes, Tommy's mom said from the kitchen. Sega Genesis and milkshakes before collecting candy. Hell yeah. It was shaping up to be exactly the kind of night Joe dreamed it would be. Tommy slammed paws on the controller. Thanks, Mom, he shouted. Thanks a lot, Miss B, Joe added. You're welcome, kids. Josh should be here soon to take us into town. Enjoy these and finish your game. Tommy's mom lit a cigarette and sat cross-legged in the recliner in the corner of the living room. Joe thought she must be the coolest mom he'd ever met. Excluding his own, of course. The boys downed the shakes, gave Dr. Robotnik a good old-fashioned whooping, and went to Tommy's room to put the finishing touches on their costumes. Tommy popped in a cassette tape of his favorite band, Kiss, and the boys splattered each other's outfits in the worst fake blood you ever did see. Headbanging an air guitar was the next order of business until the rumble of a motorcycle pulling into the driveway shook the windows and drowned out any other sound. Josh! Tommy squealed. He shook Joe by the shoulders and pumped his fists. It's about to get a lot more rock and roll, Joey! Tommy bounded from the room, leaving trails of watery fake blood along the walls as he went. Joe did his best to keep up and clean up after Tommy. He only succeeded in making smears of what had just been drips stains that would remain on those walls forever. That was Midwest kind for you. Tommy's mom opened the front door and Josh strode in. Leather jacket, slicked hair, stubble, the works. Joe thought he looked like a mix of the T-800 in Terminator 2 and John McClane. Josh lit a smoke, tossed the boys a wink, and casually swooped Tommy's mom into a kiss too old for 11-year-old eyes. When he released Miss B from the Marlboro mash, he let loose a charming grunt. His chest puffed and the boys saw Gene Simmons lapping up the world behind the leathers. Hey, squirt, Josh said. This body ain't gonna hug itself. Tommy's feet didn't even touch the ground as he launched himself into a tight bear hug with Josh. Joe stood frozen, petrified by the raw cool of it all. All right, buddy, let me go. You're going to break my ribs. Who's this? Josh, Tommy said, slapping Josh on the shoulder. This here is Joey. He's in the Kiss Army, too. Treat him like you treat me, okay? Now, yeah, Cap, Josh said. He promptly picked Tommy up and threw him across the living room into the couch. Joe was worried until he heard Tommy cough out a laugh. Don't worry, Joe, he said. I'll treat you better than old Tommy boy. He raised a hand for a high five and Joe obliged with a real stinger. Josh smirked and ruffled Joe's hair. Nice hit, kid. Bitchin' werewolf costume. Thanks, Joe practically shouted in response. Josh grinned wickedly as he looked over Joe at Tommy and made some quick hand motions that Joe didn't recognize. 
Have either of these two told you about that old tower out back? Josh asked Joe with a little more cryptkeeper in his tone than Joe was prepared for. Come on, Josh, don't scare Joe. This is his first time here, Miss B pleaded from the kitchen. Hey, babe, the kid here looks like he can handle it. Look what he's wearing. You're made of sturdy stuff, Joe, right? Oh, yeah, Joe responded, trying to sound mature. Thought so. He clapped Joe on the shoulder and led him to the living room window. The outline of a broken tower was cast in sharp refrain by a luminous full moon. Below it, a row of tall grass obscured what would have been a beautiful view of the creek that ran through town. Joe could tell the tower used to support something, but whatever it was had long ago departed this place and left one hell of an eyesore behind. Know what that tower was originally made for, Joe? Josh asked. No idea. What? Josh pressed firm but gentle into Joe's shoulders and whispered, It was a werewolf spotting tower. Enough, Josh, Tommy's mom protested. Hey, it's cool, it's cool. Joe wants to know. You do, don't you, kid? I do, Joe squeaked. Joe stood transfixed at the window. Soft sounds behind him and a creaking door let him know Miss B must have left the room, but his eyes were glued to the leaning wood and metal monstrosity. You see, Joe, in the early 1900s, folks were still very sure that things went bump in the night. This whole area used to be farmland. Animals began to go missing. Worse, some were ripped apart. Blood everywhere, man. Josh, keep it PG-13, Miss B shouted from another room. Josh stifled a laugh and continued. The people who lived here built that tower to protect their livestock and maybe discover what was causing all the ruckus. He shook Joe by the shoulders again. The full moon appeared perched on top of that tower like some ghostly dollop of ice cream on a decrepit cone. Joe heard a door open and close softly, probably Miss B collecting things for their car ride into town. Joe couldn't focus on that now. He was positive he just saw something slip into the tall grass. It loped on all fours. Joe tried to push back from the window, but Josh held him firm. He felt icy and unsafe. Every night someone was stationed in that tower with a gun. They never saw a damn thing. Not until the full moon, anyway. One watchman on a night like tonight swore he saw a wolf walking on its hind legs. Josh, I saw something out there, Joe blurted in a panic. Yeah, I bet you did. Deer or something. I can stop if you want. Josh relaxed his grip and got down on one knee to look Joe in the eye. Joe immediately felt relief. Breaking eye contact with the tower felt like coming up for fresh air. He hadn't realized how quickly he began drowning in the story. Joe blinked and breathed and relaxed into the melody of the sonic start screen blaring from the tube TV. Nah, I'm alright, thanks. Did anyone ever actually see a... a werewolf? I mean, like, a real one? No, kid, Josh said in a comforting if sad tone. But I was about your age when I heard this story. My buddies and I came to check it out. Shit you not, Joe, there are claw marks on that tower. Claws bigger than anything that ought to live in Michigan. No way, Joe said. Don't believe me, huh? Josh returned. I'll prove it to you. 
Josh was moving like lightning. He sprinted out the door and Joe watched his dark form approach the base of the tower. He moved cautiously around the support beams and settled on the one closest to the window. The Josh outline made wild gesticulations and pointed to a spot on a beam. A howl loosed in the night. Joe felt his bladder quake. Too quickly, a shadow moved from the tall grass and Josh was on the ground. Joe, help me! Josh screamed from somewhere out there. Miss B? Joe called into the empty house. Pitiful cries and broken sounds drifted in through the screen door in the cold air. Joe's limbs began to move like lead. He didn't remember opening the screen door, but it slammed behind him. Joe, thank God, Josh sputtered. I'm under the tower. Come give me a hand. I think it's gone. Each brick weight step toward the tower allowed Joe all the time he needed to consider the possibilities. Werewolves were real. This man had just been attacked. Had he been bitten? Would he turn? If so, how quickly? Why him? Why tonight? Where was Tommy? A hand clamped around Joe's ankle and he screamed bloody murder into the night. It was Josh. He looked to be in pain, but Joe couldn't see any bite marks. As he bent to give Josh a hand, a sound like slapping claws scrambled up the tower and a thud resonated from the rotting wood platform as something landed on it and settled. A howl. A god-awful howl. This was it. Joe knew he was about to die. What the hell was that? Tommy's mom asked as she strolled into the floodlights and into the backyard. Tommy, your dad and brother will be here any minute. She looked to the top of the tower as she spoke. Joe looked down at Josh and found him smiling. A snigger from the platform burst the bubble of anxiety. Sorry, kid, Josh said. Tommy put me up to it. Joe was furious, then embarrassed, and finally impressed. His nerves were so shot that his voice still shook when he spoke. I am going to kill you guys. Come on, Joey. Tommy's voice floated down from above. You have to admit it was pretty good. Joe bent to help Josh, but let him slip back to the ground instead of committing to the helping hand. Josh smiled back up at him. Pass the test, Joe thought. Joe backpedaled from below the tower and saw Tommy up there wearing a shaggy rug. Toy Wolverine claws for good measure. How the hell do you howl like that, Tommy? That's nuts! A car rolled into the driveway. Tommy paid it no mind. The lights from the sedan bathed Tommy in a yellow glow. Car doors opened. Tommy placed his clawed hands on the railing and said, It's easy, man. Check it out. Another skin-crawling howl broke the night. Damn impressive for a ten-year-old. A creaking sound joined the howl and something gave in the railing. Tommy grabbed a loose wire to steady himself. He shook violently in the yellow light. Sparks erupted from the wire. He gurgled and fought to release his grip. His body heaved forward and lost balance sent him over the edge of the platform. Tommy landed at Mike's feet with a sickening thud. His body smoldered like tinder catching fire. Dead. He was dead before he hit the ground. The world around Joe erupted into anguished screams. 
Joe stared dumbly and tears began to flow. He fought to breathe. Josh scrambled up into a sitting position and began to hyperventilate. Miss B was screaming so loud that Joe retreated into his mind. Joe felt a cold emptiness dig deep and take root inside of him. All warmth and innocence was replaced by concrete misery. Hope abandoned Joe and left him alone in a world of horrible agony. Joe fought internally to remember that he had a family. He had a mother and a father and a home and a dog, and they could make this all okay. Couldn't they? Screams from Miss B rattled in Joe's ears. A mother without a son. The temporary relief Joe felt was snuffed out by gut-ripping guilt, and he stood stone still, desperately wishing he could disappear. The sound of sprinting sneakers on hard-packed ground erupted to his right. No, no, God, no! A voice Joe vaguely recognized wormed its way into his frozen brain. A body that Joe recognized fell over Tommy. The newcomer cradled Tommy and wept. After an eternal five minutes, the boy turned to Joe. The boy had Tommy's face. The boy had Tommy's voice. What happened? The Tommy boy wailed at Joe. Joe's muddied mind could only squelch out one thought. A ghost. He was seeing a ghost. Halloween night. Now. It was good old-fashioned therapy that allowed Joe to come to terms with the trauma of that night. A parade of different specialists helped him learn to cope over a number of years. Still, there wasn't a doc in the bunch that wasn't visibly shaken by the timing of an identical twin brother arriving in Joe's life moments before Tommy died. There isn't a single breathing exercise on the planet that can minimize the power of that doozy of a thing. Therapists aplenty agreed, though. Joe should go and see and talk with Justin as often as possible. They reasoned this would help Joe know that Justin was not Tommy. Justin was not a ghost. Once a year would be about as possible as Joe could stomach. Two minutes behind Tommy arriving Earthside did technically qualify Justin as a little brother, but Joe still imagined Justin in diapers. Absurd, he knew. The man was 35 now, and sitting on the steps of the fire station with a plastic jack-o'-lantern pail passing out candy with a Brad Pitt smile and looks to match. The firefighters of Ortonville usually just wore the ubiquitous helmet and suspenders to pass out candy, but Justin never failed to put a twist on the getup. Ghostbusters jumpsuit this year. Vankman. Classic. Joe halted briefly behind a building and breathed deep. That's what Tommy would look like now. That's how Tommy would move and breathe. Tommy would probably burst out of that fire department done up like Zool and show the whole town what Halloween was really about. The howl and thud threatened to swallow Joe before his practiced exhale invited him back to the here and now. The same thing happened every year. Mike was okay 364 days out of 365, largely because his family had moved to the other side of I-75 by 6th grade. He thrived in the equally small town just a stone's throw from Mortonville. Montagues and Capulets, thank you very much.
It was only a 15-minute drive from one lone streetlight to the other, but Joe only took that drive on Halloween night. Four seconds of breath in and eight seconds of breath out. It was time to chat with Casper over there. Joe slapped feet to the stairs of the department. Quick, rip that band-aid, he thought. Justin beamed when Joe approached. Joe shook like a leaf. Aren't you a little old for trick-or-treating, Joe? Justin said. You say that every year, man, Joe returned with a little quaver in his voice. Kids darted past him and Justin casually chucked candy into their bags and buckets. Cool as a cucumber. He reminded Joe of Josh. Yeah, well, if you went to a Kiss show, you'd be pissed if they strummed something from that disco album. Play the hits, I say. I imagine you'll do the same right now. Out with it, Joe. Justin extended his arm and made the martial arts symbol to bring it on. Joe didn't respond right away. Usually, this all went down swiftly. Joe would ask how Justin was, and Justin would say he was fine. Joe would ask how the family was. Justin would say that Josh and his mom were still together and happy. He would add that his dad was hanging in there. Last year, Justin told Joe that he got married and a kid was on the way. Joe would strap on his most sincere smile and say that was all great. Then he'd ask about Tommy. He'd ask if Justin missed him, if he thought about him. Justin always said, of course. He'd usually point to the tower visible in the distance and pinch his shirt at the same time. Over the years, Joe worked out the implication. Yeah, dumbass, I became a firefighter so nothing like what happened to my brother would ever happen to another kid. Joe googled it. Firefighters took care of down power lines. The exchange would end with Joe crying a little and Justin saying he appreciated the checkup. Joe would find a bottle to crawl into and hope the effect would be enough to stop the memories from being presented in vivid 4K HDR for this year at least. It never was. Justin snapped a finger in front of Joe's face. Hello, paging punk rock Santa Claus. Joe considered the barb for a second. Long graying beard? Check. Red flannel? Check. Little more cushion for the pushing? Check. He laughed a little and slapped his stomach. Whoa, Justin said with genuine surprise. Joe, that looked like a real laugh. You okay, man? Joe smiled and felt that warm, wriggling feeling in the gut like when he used to knock a difficult solo out of the park at a show. Years of tension snapped like a too tight guitar string. He plopped down next to Justin. He never imagined he'd do that before tonight. How do you do it, dude? How do you crack jokes and smile and be all charming and shit? Raw charisma is a gift never to be left unwrapped, Justin said as he dunked a candy bar into the bucket of a little bluey healer. No, I mean tonight. Don't you get messed up tonight? Joe asked as he pointed a finger at Justin's brain. News to man, real bad. Five years or so. You'd come to see me with your folks and you looked so haunted, you know? It rubbed off on me. Oh, shit, Justin, I'm sorry. Justin cut Joe off. Then one year, you didn't look the same. You looked older. I looked in the mirror, and wouldn't you know it, I went and got older, too.
That's when I started to think. I mean, really think. What happened was fucked up. I'll never forget it, obviously. Justin did the point and pinch thing again. Joe nodded. It all clicked for me that year. It could either be a part of me or I could let it be me. That wasn't going to fly, dude. There's that line in Walk Hard. You gotta live double great for the both of us. Funny as hell in the movie, but it hit me like a ton of bricks. That flick rules, Joe said. I know, right? The best, Justin said. Anyway, that Halloween I called up some old friends and we egged a house. I got hauled into the police station and everything. It was awesome. For the first time in a long time, I had fun on Halloween. Tommy would want it that way. So, I just kept having fun. I'll never forget him. His ghost winks at me every damn time I look in a mirror. (laughs) I know, Joe said with a laugh. I actually thought you were Tommy's ghost that night. Justin looked into the middle distance. His brows furrowed as he played the events of that night out in his mind. He smirked at first and then made a shocked expression. Joe worried that he lost whatever mojo the moment was steeped in, but Justin spoke. Dude, that's so metal. I know, Joe shouted as he shook Justin by the shoulders and squeezed. A tiny Michael Myers took the steps up to the men one by one. Justin casually flipped Joe some candy, nodding to little Michael. Joe opted for a bank shot. Baby Ruth off a plastic spider's ass and into the Lori Strode head-shaped bucket. Nice, Justin and the kids said at the same time. Michael retreated in a staccato descent and Justin rested a hand on Joe's shoulder. Now, Joe, when was the last time you had fun on Halloween? Well, not counting that trick shot, just about 25 years ago. That simply won't do, Joe. Tommy would be pissed. We're going to fix that. Don't you have a wife and a little one to get home to? Joe asked. Sure do. Thanks for remembering, dude. They're at her mom's house tonight, though. I'm a free agent, Justin said with a wicked grin. Boy or girl? Joe asked. Little boy. Bet you think we named him Tommy, huh? That was my guess, Joe said. Nah. Peter, Justin said, thumbing the Vankman badge on the buster suit. Didn't take years for Joe to sort out that implication. Nerd, Joe laughed. Says the only person I know who read Animorphs all the way through. Touché. Give me a few minutes, Justin said as he popped up from the steps. I just need to grab one of the other guys and we can get out of here and into some shit. Aren't you working? Just volunteering. Don't go anywhere, dude. Please. That please was delivered with the only sadness Joe recalled seeing on Justin's face in years. He was already worried Joe was going to split. How many years had he wished they could have fun together? Joe felt guilty, but excited and resolute. The werewolf kid from earlier sped up the steps and Justin slipped into the station. Hey, punk rock guy, the kid's muffled voice came again. Hey, little man, how much for the mask? What? How much do you want for the wolf mask? This a joke, mister? Nope, I need it. 
Name your price. Well, I have always wanted a wallet with a chain. When Justin exited the station a few minutes later, Joe was nowhere to be found. He desperately sprinted down the stairs and looked up and down the street. Gone. Figured. A howl ripped open the night air. Justin was tackled into the soft grass. Joe stood above him with the too small wolf mask impossibly stretched over his head. Trick or treat, Casper, Joe said. Justin smiled. Oh man, all the tricks. All the tricks indeed. Justin and Joe got into Joe's beat-up conversion van and headed for the local grocery store. They hit the self-checkout with a cart full of eggs and toilet paper. As they were heading out to load up the van, a teen boy asked, Aren't you a little old for that? The teen only heard fading laughter in response. It was random, dispassionate, tactical, and rad. They decorated house after house with the white stuff. Both men, now acting like the boys they should have been together, would have been furious if someone did this to them. This was a special night, though. They were hell-bent on stealing back Halloween adolescence one roll and one shell at a time. They hid from headlights behind bushes. They high-fived after a good splat. They whispered and plotted and giggled, high on the audacity of what they were doing. A werewolf and a ghost, reunited and it felt oh so good. It wasn't long before the boys found themselves staring down the barrel at midnight, which might as well be 4 a.m. to a 35-year-old. Joe slid a Rage Against the Machine CD into the van's antique dash. He'd taken the power back. It was time to let the people know. Joe and Justin rolled down the windows and howled and laughed and soaked up the night air. The unspoken intent was being loud enough for Tommy to hear them. There was a damn good chance he did. Kids pumped fists as the van tore through town. Joe pulled the beater into the lot behind the station. I know you have to work tomorrow, man. Tonight kicked serious ass. Thanks. You bet, Joe. Justin said. We gave it hell, eh? Damn straight. Justin stepped out of the door, closed it, and leaned on the open window. Don't be a stranger, Joe. I mean it. I'll try, Joe said. And call me Joey, will ya? Try hard, Joey. And Joe did try. Twenty-five years ago, he had a best friend for a week. That night, though, he made a new best friend. Joe and Justin shared air as often as they could find time for. They chiseled their way into each other's lives in a way that was uncommon for 35-year-olds. Justin would come to see cover band shows and Joe read tattered copies of Animorphs books to Little Peter. They were thick as thieves, but one night each year. They became werewolves and howled loud enough for ghosts, one ghost in particular, to hear them. The End This has been That Night, written and performed by Douglas Dorda. 
If you dug on what you just listened to, it sure would mean a lot to me if you gave the video a like, gave it a share, maybe left a comment, I don't know, any of that stuff. Come on, be my new best friend. Thanks for taking the time.